We picked up, we're, we're talking about Jesus' last words to his friends. He's inspiring his friends. And I want to show you, this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. So many of the disciples, Jesus' friends, um, whom he invited to join him and follow him and be a part of his ministry, be a part of his life while he was living, um, they were, uh, well, while he was on earth, they uh, were fishermen along the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they left their families and their fortunes, their livelihoods, their different things to walk with Jesus for three years. And you know, Jesus spent a lot of time um, in there telling them and foreshadowing what was going to come. He said, hey, I am, I, you know, the, the Messiah is going to have to die. I am going to Jerusalem. I'm, you know, the, I'm going to be crucified, but take heart. I'm, I'm going to rise again. Um, the Messiah is going to uh, defeat death, take death captive. Um, he's he's rem reminding them of all the scriptures that have gone before, um, and he's saying, "Hey, this is going to happen, but you know, don't lose heart. I've overcome the world." And it's amazing. After he died, what did the disciples do? They went back to fishing. And so Jesus could have come to them because he rose from the dead and it said he spent a number of days talking with the disciples, um, appearing to people, doing many things uh, amongst them. He could have said and say, look, guys, what are you doing? Like, I told you this was going to happen. I told you what you were supposed to do and you just went back to fishing. I need to find a new group. But that's not what he did. He took them out fishing. He filled their nets again supernaturally with fish. And to show that he was with them, his power was with them. And then after they had breakfast on the shore, on the beach, and he begins to tell them about the kingdom. He begins to tell them or put in context his life and what he was going to ask them to do and who he was going to ask them to be and everything that was going to go and be poured into them as believers, as the church, as the body of Christ. And so that conversation is recorded, different parts of that conversation are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all at the end of the books, um, and, but they're all referring to parts of this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples on the beach over breakfast at the Sea of Galilee. So last week, we looked at uh, Matthew and John, and the two big ideas from there are, one, we have a nation to disciple, and that nation wasn't referring to a country. Nation was referring to people of all walks of life, across all uh, barriers and bridges, across all ways that we organize ourselves as as people on the earth, that we are crawled to cross the road to where the Samaritan is. We're called to cross the bridge uh, to where the prisoner is. We're called to cross uh, whatever things lay in our way uh, to disciple our nation and people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every race, every economic class, whether you're poor or rich and have a lot of education or none, it doesn't matter. You're loved by God. He loves you where you're at, and we're called to bring that love to people, period. Uh, number two is that we can baptize that the symbolic baptism that we do in a tank of water uh, is an outward sign of an inward reality of that which the body of Christ has done for the world, for people. That we as the body of Christ are called to immerse the people around us in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we are the baptizing force, the baptizing agent 
in the world. So now we move to part two. Part two is Mark and Luke. And this is all going to start to kind of take frame, and we're going to move towards the end where I will, uh, I'm going to give you a paraphrase of kind of all of the elements of the conversation present in these four Gospels all at once, and I think some light bulbs are going to go on as to what Jesus was talking about with his friend. There's going to be a little more meat, a little more depth, a little more substance to that conversation, and I think it's going to come alive to us this morning. Amen? All right. So we are part of the gospel. That is the first big idea. The gospel is not just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. The gospel is still unfolding today, and you and me, all of us, are part of it. We're part of the story. We're part of the power. We're part of the proof. We're part of the kingdom. We are part of the gospel. So let's take a look at Luke. Jesus said to them, he, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That verse is in blue because that same verse also occurs in the first chapter of Acts because Luke wrote both books. And in some Arabic and Syriac translations, the book of Luke actually comes after John and right before Acts because it's really seen as one author and one account of all that had happened. So I'm going to show you uh, the first part of the first chapter of Acts so that you can see what happens after that because it all references from the same conversation that Jesus had with his friends on the beach that day. So on one occasion, this is now Acts chapter 1, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, his disciples, his friends, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the key word for me that jumps out from the passage in Luke and Acts is the word witnesses. He says, Jesus says what was written about him, and then he tells his disciples that you are witnesses of that. And then he tells them later in Acts that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. So if he's saying his friends are witnesses of what he's already done, and he says we're, for the rest of time, are going to be witnesses, we should know what a witness is. We should know what that means. Well, witness in our context, in our, in our society, we think of witness as being an observer. 
Like I witnessed a car accident, I observed it happen. I'm a neutral third party that's not really part of the action that's going on. I saw something that happened and I can tell you about it. Or a witness might be something, uh, somebody who gives an account in a judicial proceeding like in a court and he says or she says what they observed. It's, it's about an obs- you're observing something that happened. Well, being a witness in this context, what Jesus was saying does not mean observer. That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you're proof. The Greek word that Jesus uses is the word martus, or the word that's recorded. He he probably said it in Aramaic, which was then translated to Greek, but the word there in Scripture in both Luke and Acts that that, uh, was recorded was the word martus, which means evidence or proof. It's where we also get the word martyr. So as an additive context, we are to be evidence that can be tested severely by the world and remain true. He's saying in verse 48 of Luke, he's not saying that you are observers that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. Jesus is saying you are proof. He was telling his friends, you're proof of the fact that forgiveness has come. You are the evidence. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus is not saying that his friends will provide judicial testimony to the world of what they have observed about Jesus. He, you don't need power to do that. They wouldn't need to wait for the Holy Spirit to be able to provide a, an account or a, to provide some third-party narrative or observation about what Jesus did. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. You don't need power to do that. Jesus is saying you will be the proof, the evidence that can be tried and tested by the world that forgiveness of sins is real. Like in Luke chapter 5, Jesus kind of foreshadowed this when the Pharisees were putting him on a kind of an impromptu trial over uh, because Jesus said he, he had forgiven this man's sins. And the Pharisee says, who is this? You can, you, how can you go around forgiving people's sins? And Jesus, of course, responds with another question and he says, do you think it's harder for me to heal this man's paralysis or to forgive his sins? And then he heals the man with paralysis, and this is the explanation that he gives. This is what he says. He says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And so that's his, his explanation for healing. is not just so he could trick people or show off. He is saying that there is a connection between the great love of our heavenly Father to forgive sin and the way I can demonstrate that great love in the earth today. And the way I'm going to demonstrate that great love in the earth today is this man who is paralyzed is going to be healed and he's going to get up and walk. And then that man will know that I have the power to forgive his sin because I've made him walk. And that all of you who are watching in the streets know that if I can make that person walk, I certainly can heal your heart. And I certainly can heal what ails you. And I can forgive your sin and give you a place at the table for eternity. He was saying, he was giving proof of his power. He was giving proof of God's love. And that's what he is asking us to do, because we absolutely need power to do that. Jesus, was, Jesus said, the things you see me do, those things you're also going to do, and even greater things. We need power to do that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus did, to be evidence that forgiveness is real. 
The outpouring of the Holy Spirit through our lives becomes compelling proof to the lost person that the incarnation is real, that the life of Jesus is real, the justification before the Father is real, the resurrection is real, the ascension is real, the Holy Spirit is real, the authority of the believer is real, the redemptive work of the prevailing church is real. The power of the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us is evidence that everything about the gospel we read from Scripture is real. You don't need power to be an observer of that. You don't need power to tell a story. You need power to be proof. So a couple of years ago, I, uh, I was on a business meeting, meeting with a company up in uh, Paso because I, I work predominantly in information technology. And I was meeting with the, uh, the owners of this business um, and uh, some of the executives from their team in the boardroom. And we were talking about IT. Uh, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the meeting, a lady comes in uh, from accounting, and she has this great big Android phone, and she walks in, she walks up to me, and she says, you know, are you the IT guy? And I said, well, I work in IT. She's all, can you help me with my phone when you're done with this meeting? I'm having a problem. Well, what do you do? The executives and owners are there. I say, oh, sure, you know, free tech support, anytime, nowhere, anywhere. Um, so she leaves, and in the moment, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm not here to fix phones. I'm here to do my job. And, uh, you know, that's, that's almost just how, how pride works sometimes, right? I mean, we, didn't we don't really identify what God is up to uh, uh, because we see it through the lens of our own pride. Um, and so I finished the meeting, and I forgot about it because I was going to forget about it because the way I saw it. And I walked out, I walked to my car, I got in, turned the air conditioning on, the engine on, and I'm listening to my voicemail because it's a hot day outside. And all of a sudden, I hear this rap on the window, and the lady's looking like this and waving her phone at me. You know, like, you forgot. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, are you serious right now? I have other appointments to get to. You really want me to go in and provide tech support for this phone? I mean, we this is crazy. I said, okay, I'll be right there. She walks in, and at that moment, I just said, God, you must be up to something because this is crazy. So I get out. I start walking back to, um, walking back to the office, and I said, I said Lord, I, you must be up to something. You must be leading me into this. Just show me what it is, and I'll do it. So I get in there. Uh, I come to her office, I figure out what's wrong with her phone. I fix it, and I'm about to leave. I say, I still, I don't, I don't get it. What's going on? And I hear the Holy Spirit say, ask her about her pictures. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is going to get weird. <laughs> that's, that's how, I, you know, I mean, I'm the, just a regular person, you know? Like, I mean, that's, that's how you respond. Like, I'm, I'm about to step out off the boat there. Um, who knows how this is going to go? I look up. She's got all these pictures, like dozens of them in all different frames. And uh, the first one that catches my eye is this picture of this nice couple. And I say, you know, what, who is that in that picture? It's such a pretty picture. And she says, oh, that's my, that's my daughter. You know, she's an engineer at this company, and they got married a couple years ago. And they're doing so great. Like, they, this company sent her to, uh, to, to France to study and be a consultant in Germany. And, like, she's just pouring out the praise of this, you know, this daughter. And then she says, oh, yeah, you know, thanks for asking. And I'm thinking, okay, still not it. The Holy Spirit says, ask her about another picture. I said, oh, okay. 
So I looked down, and I, the, this one in the corner of, the, of uh, her office window caught my eye. And I said, tell me about that girl. And her lips start to quiver, and she starts crying. And I said, okay, Lord, now we're getting somewhere. It's really weird. Um, so she starts crying. She tells me that that's her other daughter who had been on and off drugs, and she had been living at home, and she had been stealing from her, and that uh, about four weeks ago, she had left, and she didn't know where she was, and she didn't really know whether to file a missing persons report. And so I said, ma'am, I believe God sent me here, redirected me, and I, I wasn't very attentive at first, but he sent me here to tell you that he loves you, that he sees you, and that he wants to redeem and restore that relationship. That was just what the Holy Spirit gave in the moment. And she's crying and she's, you know, weeping. And then she says, um, she says, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know how this works. Like I'm, we raised our kids in the same home and one daughter turns out like this and the other daughter turns out like that. How, how does that work? And, and uh, you know, as I said, well, I believe, one, that the story of this other daughter is not closed yet. There's been chapters that haven't been written. And I believe that the Lord is the one who directs our story. He directs our life. And I believe that he didn't send me back in here to ask you about pictures so that you would then just have some kind of false hope. I believe he sent me here to tell you that your daughter is going to be restored, that he's at work in 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 her life. And then she's, you know, she's thinking, like she's processing this, you know, and she says, you know, my neighbor had been inviting me to church. Do you think, do you think I should go? I said, yes. God's trying to get your attention. I said, as soon as this meeting is over, you need to call your neighbor and thank them for inviting you and that you're going to go on Sunday. And she says, okay, I'll do that. So I, I, tell some people as like, okay, now I know, I know why I, I was there. Oh yeah, I've, and I forgot. Then we start talking more about Jesus. She receives Jesus right there in her office, gives her life to the Lord. And it was just a, it was an amazing encounter. Um, and so then I, I, you know, I thought that was it. I thought that was a testimony. You know, it was great. Um, I, I did what I was supposed to do. The, the Lord um, just worked in a beautiful way. And then a couple weeks later, I get this email. She got my card from um, one of the business owners. She emails me and she said, I went to church. I got plugged in. It, like, I'm friends with my neighbor in a way that I, I never was before. She said, but I have to tell you, yesterday my daughter came home and she told me that she, she, she really apologized for dishonoring me, and she said, I'm willing to go to rehab. And I dropped her off at rehab this morning, and I wanted just to tell you, thank you. And so, I could have gone back and helped her with the phone and been nice, and nothing would have happened. See, nice is essential, but it's not the... It's not the kingdom. Nice is essential. You, you can't go without being nice or gentle or compassionate. But it's the power that takes the land. It's the power that unlocks the destiny. It's the power that changes the circumstance 
and brings God and the word of God and the, the, the creative power of God into the situation. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that unlocks that. That doesn't happen just because you're nice. Nice is essential, but it's not power. And that is how, in that moment, that word of knowledge that came to lead me into a place of total kind of uncomfortability and what I thought could be really weird, to be proof for her that God was real, that the forgiveness was real, that everything about the gospel was real. And it didn't take a two-hour seminar and figuring out how to convince her that what happened 2,000 years ago actually happened. She saw in that moment that what happened 2,000 years ago happened and that he's still alive. So the second big idea is not that just you will be proof, but that you will be given prevailing power. And that's a really important, that is critical to our understanding. So in Mark, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So like in the first passage, witnesses became our key word. It wasn't observer, it was proof. In this, it's the word preach. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Does that bother anyone? I mean, can you imagine sharing the gospel with your cat? I mean, your cat's part of creation, right? So what is the cat going to say when you tell them and, and you tell them about the four spiritual laws and that they need to be uh, baptized and, and believe in order to be saved? Well, your cat's going to say, what? Water baptism? Oh, no, I don't think so. What happens if you share the gospel with a tree? Your tree might say, are you really praying for fire? You're praying that the fire of the Holy Spirit's going to fall on me? No, we know that's a little ridiculous, but I'm taking it to the point where he's not really saying, Jesus is not saying to go out and talk to all creation and tell them some, a story. I mean, the story is important. I'm not uh, saying that. But he's, not, he's saying if preaching was talking, then that scripture doesn't make sense. So preaching must be something a little different. Preaching, in fact, that word means demonstrating. It means to herald, to be a sign that something is happening, to proclaim, to declare publicly with authority, to demonstrate and clearly show the existence of something by giving proof. It means to verify, to fulfill a prediction by providing evidence. It means to make replete, to fill what was empty and to satisfy what is lacking. That's that preaching means to fully embody and demonstrate before all of creation that God was reconciling the world 
to himself through Christ Jesus. That can happen before a tree as well as before your grandfather. It can happen before a cat. It can happen in front of anything because God's redemptive work is happening through you and for the benefit of all and everything. Paul said in Romans, he's referencing these passages. He's using the same phraseology, the same language. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished, or that word is worked. He, it's like it's an action. What Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He's fully demonstrated it. He's fully, he, he has accomplished his mission in demonstrating the gospel, allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through him. He, he said uh, in another passage, he said, I haven't come to you with artful language and, and grand philosophies. I've come to you in demonstrations of the spirit of power so that you'll know that Jesus is raised from the dead. He said in 1 Corinthians that I haven't, the kingdom of God is not just talk, but it's power. He's saying that there is proof that needs to be made visible before all of creation in this earth so that people will know that Jesus, God does in fact have the power to forgive sin and reconcile the world unto himself. We can't disciple our nation without the Holy Spirit. We can't demonstrate the gospel without the Holy Spirit. We can't be proof that the gospel is real without the Holy Spirit. Because the spiritual mission of the church, that's us, can only be accomplished through spiritual means. The natural laws that govern our existence here, they can be mastered, they can be managed, they can be leveraged. They're amazing. God set them so that the world functions with order. But the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit empowers the believer to operate beyond those natural laws to enforce the superseding truth of God's love for people. So when those, the laws he put in place are for our benefit and for the order of the earth and the stars and the universe, but his love for people is more true. And so when the natural laws keep people bound, when they, the natural laws of the world keep people sick, when the natural laws of this world keep people entangled and set aside and marginalized, when the natural order of things is like that, it's the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit that brings order in the Spirit by, by enforcing His love in that situation so that we know that the order of things is just and right before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what does he say? Yes. What does he say will be those signs that follow those who trust and believe? Well, he says that we'll drive out demons. And to what I say, what I, the way I interpret that is, is that he will give us authority over evil. Jesus walked in authority over evil. He did not get stirred up into some spiritual frenzy with anger and rage. It wasn't the pitch, the tenor, or the, the volume of his speech that gave him authority. He walked in authority because he had authority. And he gave us that authority. He said, I am, all authority is given to me in earth and heaven. And behold, I am 
giving you. Wait for power from the Holy Spirit. Go be my proof. Go be my evidence. Go, go preach, fully demonstrate the gospel with the same Holy Spirit that I was, I was filled with on that day when I was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit came to rest on me. That same power, the same way that I did it, you go do it and be for the world what I have been for the world. So we've been given authority over evil. You know, sometimes we think that driving out demons is something that only happens on the mission field in faraway places. I can tell you, not many times, but on some, some occasions, I have seen that, that those activity and that function and that, uh, that um, right here, right in our, in our own community. Um, about uh, several years ago, my wife and I helped a church plant uh, in Paso Robles, and the uh, pastor and I, uh, and w- there was a, some of our leadership team, were out in front of Walmart inviting people to church and giving them cards. And I remember handing, uh, the, the pastor handed this card to uh, a family, um, and they, uh, you know, was a, there was a mom and a dad and, and four kids trailing after them, and they you know, it was just one of those things where we handed the card to the family and immediately in your spirit, you know, like there's a lot of pain there. That was really the only thing. It wasn't like I got some great word of knowledge other than I had a feeling that there was a lot of pain there. And, but I kind of let it go. I, I let it go right on by. Well, the mom shows up to church and sits in the back row by herself. Doesn't ever stand up, doesn't ever say anything. She just sits there, stoic. You know, like, you know, just sitting there. And the pastor and I, we go up and we, we talk to her after service. And, and she, you know, I say, yeah, how, are, how are things going? And she's just like closed up. And she says, just pray for my daughter. Something's not right. And in my spirit, I, I remember hearing, you need to go to their house. But I didn't say anything. Again, you know, it's like you get the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and you're like, I'm, am I going to step out into what's weird? Am I going to embarrass myself? Am I going to, like, totally foobar everything that's going on, and it's going to get all weird? That's, that's what I think. Well, so I didn't say anything, but the Lord is gracious, right? <laughs> so, so she goes on her merry way. The pastor and I and a couple of the people were at the pastor's house on, uh, during the week, and we were meeting for worship practice, and one of the things we do is we prayed over the, the prayers from the church that were handed in on that Sunday. So we're praying through, and the lady's prayer comes up, pray for my daughter, because something is wrong. And so at that point, it's like a different setting, and I said, you know, I really feel like we should go over to their house. Um, so the, the, the pastor says, yes, I'm feeling that too. So the, the two of us, um, we called over to their house, um, and uh, said, hey, can we come over here? We'd like to anoint your house with oil. We'd like to pray for you. She said, fine. So we drive over there. We drive over to the house. It's a small house, and we, uh, like, I mean, you can just feel the darkness. You walk inside. It's, it's, it's just, it's oppressively dark, and the, the, it was just the, the mother and the daughter, and there was a couple of the other kids. The dad was still at work. He worked graveyard, so he was gone at night. This was in the evening time. So we sat down, and we just said, you know, um, to, to the girl, says, you know, what, what's going on? And all she would say, she never made Ancana. She just said, I'm having nightmares. I just can't, I can't like, I'm, I'm just having nightmares. I can't, um, there's just, I'm having nightmares. And 
So we, uh, we get up and we start, you know, just said, okay, so we're going we're gonna to pray through this house. We're going to go through the house. We're going to pray over it. We're going to anoint it with oil. And as we start walking through the, the house, we start seeing things. Um, now, this family had been seeing things that were, that were Catholic kind of caricatures. There were Aztec, like, calendars. There were weird figurines and other, like, idols and different things. Now, this family was a wonderful family. had been here uh, it'd been in Paso for a number of years, but generations back, they were from, uh, you know, a, um, they were from Oaxaca, and there was a mixture of Catholicism and uh, indigenous religion uh, from, you know, descendant from Aztecs. And so there was this kind of mixture going on, and it was kind of displayed on display all, all over the house. And so we say, you know, we, re- we really need to take all this stuff out of the house, and so the daughter's following us around. We take all the stuff out of the house, take it outside, and we just start breaking it and putting it in the trash. And like the daughter's just like pacing and getting just anxious and ang- like lots of anxiety you can, you can see. And, you know, we're just, I mean, our hearts are beating because we like, we're trying to do what we're supposed to do, but we're not, we don't really see what's going to happen next. We're, we're just, we're going one step at a time. We get back into the house and, uh, you know, there was just this still this intense darkness. And so, um, you know, I, I turned around and faced the girl who was kept following me. And she was probably high school age, um, about 15. And I said, I, it wasn't really necessarily directed at her, but it was directed like in that direction. I said, spirit, identify yourself. It was just, it came, kind of came out, and my heart's beating. And so her literally, and this sounds sensational and weird, so I admit it, but it really did happen. Um, and sometimes when the spirit world intersects with the, the, the world we see, it does get weird. It, it's, it is different than what we're used to seeing. And so her shoulders kind of hunch over, and she gets like this, like, like, her body starts to kind of contort and she gets this really gravelly voice and she, and like, uh, it's, it's, it's horrible. And I hear the voice says, I am Oxomo, leave us alone. And I didn't know what, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know anything, but the pastor is like, in the name of Jesus, get out of this house. And and literally, she just convulsed and collapsed on the floor, just face down. And we start, we start, we just start praying. We start praying in the spirit. And after a few moments, like we're we're kind of just by her, but she's kind of non-responsive, like not, you know, almost. Um, I, she wasn't comatose, but just non-responsive in the moment. And after a few minutes, uh, she got up. She was making eye contact, and she's giving her mom a hug. And that we're we're now in the family room. You could feel the darkness, the evil, the 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 depth of despair had left the house. And all of a sudden, you know, then then her mom's weeping. The kids are like dancing around. She's you know make you know because she's not oppressed anymore. And I mean that you 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 don't get deliverance just from being nice. We have to be nice, but we have to walk in the power we've been given to set people free. That's why Jesus came. 
He came to set captives free. He came to deliver those who are bound. And when it happens in the natural, it gives proof that it happens in the Spirit for all eternity. And so I, I still remember, you know, uh, this was a couple months later, you know, her mom's coming with these, you know, dance, like the high school dance pictures, and the daughter's no longer all dressed in black, and she's got, you know, like this flowery dress on, and she's with her friends, and it's like there has been, was a dramatic change because there was no more nightmares. There was no more presence of an evil spirit in their home. So we have authority over evil. Um, he also sa- Jesus said that we would speak with new tongues. And what that means to me is that we'll cross every communication barrier. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, it says they came out into the street, they were rejoicing, and people in the street all heard the gospel in their native language. That only happens supernaturally. So every, every barrier that gets put in front of us to keep the gospel from getting to another person, the Holy Spirit is there mixed with our faith. The Lord is working signs mixed with our faith. The mountains be removed. The, this thing get, get cast aside because the gospel must get to all people throughout the world. So every communication barrier whether it be just speaking a different language or whether it be us. Paul said he prayed with his understanding and he prayed with the Spirit because sometimes, oftentimes, we can't see clearly in the Spirit. We don't know how to pray. And it's then when our Spirit prays and we cross that communication barrier, we cross what our, the barrier our understanding lacks and we can pray in the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can be released into that open space to do what only He can do. Jesus said that we would be given, when we would trample on snakes or we drink poisonous things, we would by no means be harmed. And what he's saying is, is that the Holy Spirit, when we're clothed with power, we're given supernatural protection. Like when Paul, he's on his way to Rome, he says that they got shipwrecked, he said that uh, this was going to happen, they're making fun of him, they're making a mockery of him, and then he gets bit by a snake, and he said, see, we're all, you're going to die, and then we're all going to die, except he didn't die. And he became proof in that moment that the gospel was real, that God was real. He became proof that there was a higher power named Jesus that was giving him revelation and wanted to save them, and it said they all believed. Because it's when the proof comes in the natural that people believe their eternal truths that we've been trying to share and that are written about in Scripture. It also says that we will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And Jesus is saying that we are no longer, we don't need our hand, or we're not going to have hands for violence. We're not going to have hands just to work, but we're going to have hands that heal. When we make connection and contact with people, there is real power that we've been clothed in that comes and moves supernaturally to other people so that they can receive healing of all kinds, that they will know that Jesus is real. So a point of honesty, as you can hear from my stories, I really, and I, I mean this, I, I probably only respond to the Holy Spirit's leading a third of the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm just regular, just being real. The other two-thirds of the time, I question, I doubt. 
The moment passes, I think I'm too busy. Sometimes I step out and nothing happens. So what should we make of this? That's when I fall back on my trust in God's character. There are things that I won't understand. There are things that I won't see, that you and I won't see. We won't see, we won't understand. But we know that God's character is true. And we know from all of the many, many stories throughout history of generations of believers from the early church to today that he is still healing people. He's still delivering people. There's, he's still setting people free. The gospel is still going out in unprecedented ways and that the church is the proof of his redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so it's up to us to keep leaning into love, leaning into the open space, being willing to be out and be a little less comfortable with even more humility, knowing that we've been clothed in power. And it's not sensationalism, it's not emotionalism, and it's not sign-seeking. We're not trying to stir up a spiritual frenzy so we can get our high for the week. That's not what we're doing. And it's not about a personality type. If preaching the gospel were all about speaking, the Great Commission might only work for extroverts. But becoming living proof of the gospel is for everyone. And I just want to read you a collection, my paraphrase of all four gospels that represents what I think that conversation looked like, and let it sink into your heart. When they finished eating, Jesus asked his friends, do you love me? And one friend answered, yes, Lord, you know that we love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs, provide for those who are most vulnerable among you, take care of my people around the world, feed my sheep. You used to do what you want, but loving me means following me into the world to save people. And that may cost you your comforts, your rights, or even your life. But take heart. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from every walk of life into the family of God, immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, thereby teaching them to follow everything that I have commanded you. Demonstrate the gospel to all creation. Whoever is immersed and trusts in me will be saved, but those who still do not trust will be condemned. I will go with you and confirm my word with signs following all those who believe. In my name, they will take authority over evil and cast out demons. They will cross all communication barriers and speak in new tongues. They will have supernatural protection from violence and poison. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be fully demonstrated in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are proof of these things, and I am going to send you the Holy Spirit my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then you will be my proof in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.